want to ask you a question, and that's this. Where is your focus? Where is your focus? And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is or was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them uh, at the inn. I'm sure that we all have heard this story so many times, we read it time and time again, that it will become very familiar with its pages and what it says. But in these few short verses, we have the record of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And yet, we've heard it so many times, we preach it so many times, is there anything new uh, within these scriptures for our life today? How can this old, old story apply to anything relevant in our thinking and our heart this morning? Well, I believe there is a message in it for us. I believe the Word of God is always something that we can see and read and understand uh, from the reading and the hearing of it as well. First of all, Luke introduces us in this short verses of two kings. Uh, they are exemplified different worlds and a different life as well. First of all, the passage opens with the Roman emperor, uh, Caesar Augustus, uh, who is firmly in control. He's looking for a way to raise more money uh, for the Roman government. Uh, so he decided to put out a, a, a decree uh, that all the world of his, his world he ruled uh, needed to be taxed. Uh, so with that being said, everybody had to go back at a census uh, to go back to their hometown where they grew up for a census. Now with that being said, uh, where is Augustus when he makes this announcement? Well, apparently he's somewhere in Rome, uh, somewhere where uh, he's perched up in a throne room someplace. And I'll assure you he's in a chair, but it's not an office chair like we have. Uh, he's there in some good throne, if you will. Uh, by the same token, what kind of room was he in? I don't know. I'm sure he was in a palace and he had all the amenities of a modern day office, all the amenities uh, that, money, that modern day money could purchase at that particular hour. He was sitting high and he was floating around very, very well. And what happened when he gave the command? People jumped. Even if there are hundreds and hundreds of miles away, they had to come to his beckoning call to do exactly what he had commanded them to do at that particular hour. I'm sure that many of the people had to travel for hundreds of miles to get from where they were back into Bethlehem. I'm sure that those people felt very inconvenienced. They had to leave their job, perhaps. They had to leave their home. They had to get traveling arrangements and have money for hotel lodging and so forth. That was a great expense. And yet when they got there, they realized they had to take part of a census and they realized that taxes were going to be taken up and there were probably more money they would have to pay. But one thing is for sure, Augustus had the power. He indeed was in the driver's seat. Augustus was one of the greatest emperors in all of Roman history. Now, it would probably be a whole lot better if I could say today that he was a bad man and a ruthless man, but really he was a good man as far as leaders were concerned uh, within the Roman Empire of that day. He was about as good as they could get. Uh, for one thing, after decades of civil war, he unified the Roman Empire and finally brought peace. Uh, there had been a tremendous amount of wars that went on, but he defeated 
Cleopatra's boyfriend, uh, Mark Anthony, and brought peace to that region. Uh, he also passed legislation that encouraged family life. He also brought up and raised up uh, a police department and a fire department uh, for the city of Rome. Uh, he also was able to cut the military budget in half uh, because, or I don't know how much, he brought it down a lot, I'm not sure how much, uh, because the military budget uh, was drawn of him into the financial hole, into ruin. And by the same token, Augustus uh, was the one that took care of the veterans that had served in the war. Uh, he made sure they all had land upon which they could build their lives around as well. By the same token, uh, we know that toward the end of his life, he boasted uh, that he himself uh, had found Rome made of bricks. Uh, but he left it made of marble. Uh, however, he was a long, long way uh, from being what we would call a perfect man. Now, people talked about Augustus uh, because of his peace and, uh, and the way he ruled and reigned there for 41 years. And they referred to him as Pax Augustus, uh, which means peace uh, brought by Augustus. Now, I want you to understand this. The people of that hour, the people in the Roman Empire, be it Jew or Gentile alike, they were looking to Rome. They were looking uh, to Augustus to bring the peace and the safety and the security that they needed at that particular hour of their life. Many people talked about Augustus as being a God or as being a Savior at that time. A record's been found of a birthday celebration that said this and describes his birthday this way. The birthday of the God has marked the beginning of the good news through him for the world. They were looking at Augustus as a savior, as a God, and he said, they said, he has the good news that the world needs to hear. He has the good news uh, that will make their life a whole lot better. That sounds like something right out of the Bible. I thought the gospel was the good news. I thought Jesus was the one that brought the good news and backed up that which he said. But the Roman government and the Jews of that hour, they were looking to uh, Emperor Augustus to bring the good news. He was the God. God, and he was the savior of that day. In some respects, I believe that Augustus symbolizes for us the very best that human politics can do. We look to our politicians to bring us a peace and prosperity. We look to our politicians uh, to take the budget down and the, the gas prices down and, and the food prices down and to make sure that we don't go into a recession or an inflation, uh, to make sure that the budget is balanced, etc., etc. But we find out that soon that does not happen at all. Many of us could get caught up and say, you know what, I'd like to have a man in leadership like Caesar Augustus. He makes promises that he keeps. Uh, he, he did what he said he would do. He cut the military spending. Uh, we're strong in our borders. Uh, the list goes on and on. And many of us would say, I'd rather trade our leaders in uh, for a man like that. Uh, there are many people who believe that. But having said that, and then we have another king. His name is Jesus. And where is Jesus in the story? Well, certainly he's not in some castle or some throne room or sitting up on a high tower, a throne. No, we find Jesus being birthed of his mother and the best place they can have for him is a feeding trough, a manger where animals are fed. And yet we know that Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, his biological mother and his stepfather, we know the best they were were peasants. They were poor people. They couldn't rub two nickels together. And the best that they could come up with for baby Jesus to be born was a cave in the hillside uh, in the shepherd fields. And the only thing they could do, a place to lay his head for a bassinet, uh, was a feeding trough. And yet August, Augustine, uh, 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 when Augustus rather, when he gave the command, it was Mary and Joseph, the cow tailed down to do exactly what he said to do. 
We know that they traveled about 90 miles to get to Bethlehem. And yet the stories that we read, the pictures that we see of Mary and Joseph on that, uh, that particular skirmish, uh, we see them many times, Mary riding a donkey. But we don't know if for a fact that Mary had a donkey at all. We, they were so poor, we can only assume they had a donkey, but it does not say they had a donkey uh, that they rode on on that particular day. Notice something else, if you will, during that time. When Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem, there was no Motel 6 and a half waiting on them. Or three and a half, they couldn't even find a Motel 6 with a light left on because everything was filled. The best they had was to put Jesus in a cave to be born and placed in a manger. I remind you that uh, Augustus had skilled servants all around him. But Mary and Joseph had nothing but animals around them and they couldn't wait to kick them out of the cave so the animals could go back in. There was no hospital. There was no midwife. Uh, there were no doctors around, no nurses uh, to assist uh, Mary when she brought forth the livery. And as a matter of fact, uh, Augustus reigned for about 41 years uh, as the emperor of all of Rome. But Jesus Christ served upon this earth as a suffering servant, as the son of God ministering uh, for a little better than three years. And yet many people thought his ministry ended in complete failure because he died upon a cross, the worst death that anybody could die. And yet he died upon that cross as one that was like a nobody, as a has-been, as the scum of the earth. So how do we dare compare the two kings that uh, Luke tells us about? How do you compare uh, king, uh, uh, Emperor Caesar upon the throne and lonely Jesus, a king that was there in a manger? I'll tell you how, because Jesus was the very Son of God who was on a mission to come down from heaven to this earth. He didn't come to demand our taxes. Uh, he came to win our hearts. He did not come to control. He came to set free. Uh, Jesus did not come to hobnob with the high and the lofty of society, uh, but Jesus came down for the outcast to this world. Uh, he was a shepherd looking for lost sheep. Uh, he was a physician looking for the sick of this world. Uh, Jesus was the one that came to the outcast, to the lowly, to the weak, to those in poverty to those that had no love at all. He wanted to give that kind of love to them. I am grateful that I can serve this one by the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Had Jesus today walked upon this earth right here now, I believe you'd find Jesus walking among those in the AIDS clinic. I believe you'd find him in the battered home for women. I believe you'd find him down at the poor house. I believe you'd find Jesus ministering today among the homeless or the public housing project or the houses for battered women. That's where I believe that you'd find Jesus today. But now I want to show a transition here, if I may. Remember all the conversation. Everything was about Rome. Everything was about Caesar Augustus. But notice this. When Luke first wrote down the story about the birth of Jesus, he wanted to establish the right time in history. So he used the reign of Caesar Augustus and also of Quirinius, the governor of Syria, as points of reference. Now, according to history books, the date of the reign of Caesar was 27 B.C., that's before Christ, and A.D. 14 in the year of our Lord. The tables have turned. Now the span of Augustus' life is defined by Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Notice further. One of the months upon our calendar is the month of August. Where does it come from? Augustus. But when I flip the calendar every year and I come to the month of August, not one time do I think, oh, that reminds me of Augustus. But when I come to the month of December and I look down on the day of the 25th, immediately comes to my mind the birth of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. 
I don't know many people that think anything about Augustus, but I know a lot of folk in the world that think a whole lot about Jesus Christ the Lord. Uh, Jesus came as a nobody, but thank God he died upon the cross and outlived the pallbearers of that day, and he shall forever live and rule and reign forever and ever and ever. Even to the point, my friend, that today the world understands the division of the timeline is before Christ came and after he died and rose from the grave. Today, millions upon millions of people upon the face of this earth, not just in America, but around the world, they see December 25th and they remember Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born. Uh, millions and millions today have claimed him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and thank God we serve him even today. But most of those who've heard of August, uh, Augustus know that he's only a footnote to the story of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, of course, Augustus really never had a chance to beat out Jesus because he was just a man, and Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus sat up on the throne. He left the throne of heaven, and he humbled himself the kenosis of Christ. He left the glory uh, that he had with the Father. He humbled himself, became a man, and dwelt upon the face of this earth today. And so the comparison between uh, 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 Augustus and Jesus Christ is really no match. You know why? It's the, talking about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Now, friends, hear me, hear me, hear me, let me tell you something. I want to slow down and talk to you a little bit this morning for a burden on my heart. We live in a world full of politics and politicians, and we need them. We invest so much of our efforts to make this world a better place. I hate election processes, and here we're getting ready to enter another one. Just came through one, it's not over. Getting ready to enter a presidential election, it'll be here before you know it. And we bring all these announcements and promises for reforms, Wonderful new programs, prosperity and paradise upon earth. We hear it every time the election cycles come around. And what happens? You want a good belly laugh? Watch how many of our candidates promise they're going to increase military spending, cut the budget, balance the budget all in the same breath. You ready to laugh now? How's that working out for us? We all know what happens in our own private family when our paychecks are cut and our living expenses go up. You cannot balance your budget that way, nor can America. At times, through our government leaders, we do make some improvements, but I'm a firm believer the political process has an important place in our country. Did you hear me? It has an important place. Justice must be served and upheld. We must also be able to protect those that are vulnerable. We understand also that our weak need to be protected from oppressors. Our children need to be educated properly, and I believe our roads need to be cared for. Our safety needs to be ensured. But not, no matter how high the dreams are, we human beings always make mistakes. Every generation has a Saddam Hussein or an Osama bin Laden. Every generation will have their Richard Nixon or their Bill Clinton, whose personal life undermines the good they intended to perform. Every generation has its packs of wild dogs that'll come nipping at you and trying to destroy you if you go against their political persuasion. Every generation that we have have powerful people that are willing to tread upon you and walk upon you so they can forward themselves uh, uh, down the political machine and so themselves can have financial gain or political gain at your expense. We understand all about that today. 
programs to order our lives that come from the outside only go so far. Did you hear me? Only government things that we have can, can, can help our lives, and that's just so far. Augustus organized and ruled Rome for 41 years with all of his energy. But the time came when it collapsed. But the kingdom that the little Jesus shepherd kid came. That one rules and reigns forever and ever and ever. And the kingdoms of the world will rest upon his shoulder. There is no devil of hell. There is no Caesar Augustus. There is no uh, any leader anywhere that can stop him or dethrone him. Thank God we are on the right side this morning. And his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. I am grateful I am assembly of God. But it's not the assembly of God going to win the world. It's the God who raised up the assembly that's going to get the job done. I'm here to tell you, friend, we serve a God today where the kingdoms of this world are going to fall at his feet, but our king shall live and rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever again. Amen. I remind you, but the time came when all the claps in Rome, but how much wiser is the wisdom of God? The God that we serve is not content to come and rule from the outside. He wants to rule from the inside. He doesn't want to dictate what we do. He goes straight to your heart. He goes straight to my heart and he changes us on the inside. He refuses to stand above us and he refuses to stand apart from us. He came as a little boy, a little infant baby, at birth to the most humblest of families that we could find uh, lower on the economic ladder than any one of us in this room today. He is not content to rule by fear. He's not content to rule by torment. He wants to rule and reign in our heart by love. In the, in the, test, in, in the way with the Roman Empire, uh, the, the, the Augustine uh, could put fear in their lives and made them kowtow down. And if they broke the law, they would suffer the consequences uh, by death or by imprisonment. But the God that we serve said, I want to give a brand new law in your heart and you will love me with love and you will, you will serve me out of love, not out of fear. I don't have to fear my God. I have a healthy fear of him, but I don't fear him. He is my father. He is my brother. He is my confidant. He is my counselor. He is the one that will never leave me and never forsake me. He is always there. And yet he puts love in my heart that I can love him. He puts love in my heart that I don't want to do wrong, that I don't want to go out and sin that I don't want to break the heart of God. And yet if and when I do make a mistake, that same love brings me back to that same God. And I say, forgive me and wash me in your blood. And thank God we're cleansed from all of our sin because the blood of Jesus still works. Augustus could not do those things. Now, easy it is that we forget about the workings of God that's working around us and among us and through us every day. With that in mind, Permit me, if I may, to share with you what I really feel to be the burden upon my heart this morning. Even though the prophets had prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years about the birth of Jesus Christ, the people were focused on something else. Their eyes were on Rome. Their eyes were on Caesar Augustus. Their eyes were upon Serenius of Syria. Their eyes were upon census taking. Their eyes were upon taxes. But Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. And yet you read in the word of God, the manner of his conception, the place of his birth, the way he was birthed, uh, the situations around it, the coming of the Magi, the coming of the wise man, the star. It was all prophesied in the word of God. And yet when it happened, they didn't see it. They were focused on something else to hear 
and the now. They should have been ready to have seen Scripture fulfilled, but they were too much focused on the here and the now. The government of the here and now. The social programs of the here and now. The Caesar of here and now. And when Jesus arrived in Bethlehem's manger, just another baby. Just another poor, pregnant Jewish woman sent her to the hillside in the cave. Get them out of my sight. Their eyes were focused on Rome, on politics, on Augustus, on taxation, on life in general. They were not ready for the first coming. Brothers and sisters, as Jesus grew more and more, as he entered into public ministry, more and more scriptures were being fulfilled about the works he did, the miracles he performed, the messages he taught, and the sermons that he preached, and people still not recognize him, nor they're ready for him. As Jesus entered the public ministry, even the Jewish people who knew the scriptures inside, out, and backwards stumbled over him and did not accept him. They were more focused upon what's going to happen to our lives because of the Roman government. Even the disciples whom he handpicked were still having difficulty understanding about the kingdom of God living on the inside of them. Jesus walked among them, talked about the kingdom of God, talked about heaven, talked about hell, talked about salvation, talked about sin, I talked about good, talked about bad, talked about eternity, and yet it went right over their head. They did not see it. They did not embrace it. They did not focus on the proper thing. Jesus spent some time in Jerusalem teaching. When he finished that night before he left the city, he headed to the Mount of Olives and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who've been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Jesus said, I would, but you would not. He came and ministered to these people, but by and large, they never truly embraced him. Oh, he got a following as long as they could see the miracles he performed and as long as they eat the food that he produced. And yet we see in the word of God, where were they? They were too earthbound. They were focused on the here and the now when they should have been focused on what the Lord was doing. Even after Jesus died and rose from the grave, he commanded his disciples to go to Jerusalem and tarry in the upper room until you be endued with power of God from on high. He told them that the Holy Spirit would anoint them and empower them to be witnesses to this world. Go you into all the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. You go make an impact on this world. Don't be concerned about the world you're in. Uh, be concerned about those in this world that need to come out of it. Don't be concerned about the politics this world. Be concerned about what the church is supposed to be doing. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Don't be caught up in the here and now. Be caught up in what I want you to do. Amen. And then what do the disciples say? So uh, when they come together, they begin asking him saying, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Of everything they had seen Jesus do and everything that heard him teach and preach, Get this power in you and go to the world and turn it upside down. Can we sit on thrones now? Are, are, are we going to defeat Rome now? Is, is the Jew going to be in the proper place now to where we don't have to come under the authority of the, of the Caesars of this world? How that must have broke the heart of the Lord. But dear God, where are we at today? I said, where are we at today? They were looking through the lens of the here and now, not the things of eternity. The world in general and the religious folk in particular were not ready for the second coming of the Lord. Did you hear that up there? Yeah. 
I said, by and large, the church is not ready for the coming of the Lord. And you know what breaks my heart? Many of us don't care. Many in the Christian world, they don't care. The Bible that prophesied about the first coming also said he's coming again. And the same God that fulfilled the first one is going to fulfill the second one. All the signs point to his coming. The world's right for his coming. But where's the focus of the world? And where's the focus of the religious people? On our governments. We've got 24-7 newscasts from one end of the spectrum to the other. From liberal to ultra-liberal to moderate to conservative to extra-conservative. However you want to call it. It amazes me. I turn on one station, listen to this new cast, and turn this one on 180 degrees opposite of what that one just said. Somebody's wrong. And I said this a few weeks ago. We know the news is fake just like wrestling, but we pay to watch it anyway. God help us. Politics fill the vapors. Social media fill with left-wing, right-wing politics agenda. We have candidates that we endorse our neighbor has candidates they endorse, and here we are. We're talking about the here and talking about the now. I want the platform that's going to reduce prices, and I want the platform that's going to bring the wages up, and I want the platform that's going to take the economy this way and that way, and I want lower fuel prices. Well, who don't? Even among the Christian community, too many of our eyes are focused on Washington, D.C. Hear me. Our eyes are focused on Washington, D.C., and our eyes are fixated with whoever's in that Oval Office. And we want our Caesar in there. We want our Augustus in there. We want him there. Let me be blunt. There are many so-called prophets today saying in the name of the Lord, a new president's coming. He's going to fix everything that's broken in our nation. They tell us America's going to turn, and through the government, revival is going to come, and happy days are here again. I hope to God they're right, but I believe we're drinking from the wrong well. Amen. I'm going to say it. We don't have that many mature prophets in America today. They may have some age, but I don't think they have the depth to really speak for God. We don't have a modern-day Isaiah. We don't have a modern-day Ezekiel. We don't have a modern-day Jeremiah. When Jeremiah prophesied and said, you will be carried into Babylonian captivity of Judea because of your sin and your idolatry, the other prophets, oh, no, 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 just a little while. God's going to do this. It's okay. The governments are going to take care of us. Jeremiah just dug his heels and said, let me tell you something, boys, paraphrasing. You'll be carried into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. You might as well buy land. You might as well buy a house. You might as well get your kids educated for the next few years. You might as well expect your grandkids to be buried here. And you might as well put out some gardens because you're going to be here for 70 years. But see, we don't want to hear the truth. We want to hear what tickles the ear. We want to hear what makes us feel good in this present environment. Friend, we were not made for this world. Our hope is not in this world. I told my wife some time ago, I said, some of these modern-day prophets, God talks to them or never talked to Moses, and Moses talked to God face-to-face. I don't think the modern-day prophets are intentionally deceived. I think many are caught up with zeal. I think many are competing with each other. I think some are trying to get a fresh word so they can be the first to say, I said it, and look at me. I'm close to God. 
I believe a false prophet is after money and after sex. Did you hear me? I believe the false prophets after money and after sex. Now, many of the so-called prophets today, I think they're out to lift themselves up many times. Why do I say that? God raised up three institutions. He raised up the family, he raised up the church, and he raised up government. And many of the modern-day prophets are telling us that God is going to use the government to do what he intended the church to do. We love our family. We support our family. We pray for our family. We do everything we can to protect our family. We should. You see, as Christians, we're involved in all three of these institutions, the family, the church, and the government. And the church, is, uh, the government rather, is God's means whereby to govern everyday affairs of life, which is good. But there are many prophets saying that the, that the government should uh, be anointed so much of God with all the proper leaders in the White House and the Oval Office and in Congress and the Senate, uh, that, that, that a great revival is going to come through there and America is going to be changed by that. It can't happen that way because you cannot bypass the church. God raised up, God anointed, God saved, God filled the church to go forth to turn the world upside down for the glory of God. But yet if we're looking to politics, if we're looking to politicians, we're going to miss Jesus because we're focused on the wrong cotton-picking thing. Too many prophets are suggesting the government should be doing what God ordained, called, and gifted, and empowered the church to do. First of all, let me ask you a question. Why are all the so-called prophets speaking about America when the heartbeat of God's for the world? Why are we looking to politicians for help when we're supposed to be looking to Jesus? And why are we so concerned about our economic well-being when we as Christians should be concerned about the souls of America and the rest of the world? Beloved, it sounds good to say that we've got Christians in the White House, in Congress, in the Senate, and I pray to God it happens. We need them there. But friend, my help don't come from them. My help comes from him. We have a Bible mandate to preach the gospel regardless of who's in power, of who sits on the throne. Whoever sits in the Oval Office, whoever leads us in, whoever leads Congress, it is still the mandate we go. May I remind you, Jesus Christ was born in a hostile government. It was that hostile government that killed the babies two years of age and younger. It was that hostile government, the same Roman government, that crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. It was the same hostile government that beheaded the Apostle Paul. And it's the same hostile government that God sent Moses to in Egypt, to say, let my people go. And my point being, the politics didn't have to be right for the Lord, for the Lord to move. The politician had to be in the right place for God to do something. The church thrived and survived, no matter who sat on the thrones. And yet, if we're not careful in America, we're giving all of our attention to the White House. All of our attention to what they can do. God is not going to bring revival through the government. He will use the church. I pray our government can be revived. But hear me, hear me, hear me well. If the government's made up with all the sickening stuff that we're seeing today, how can it be revived when the church doesn't even want to be revived? 
We need to focus on the word of God and listen to the voice of Jesus. He's coming back. My hope is not in this world. My hope is in the world to come. Without sounding fatalistic, we are living at the beginning of the end. While many are placing their hope in a new political regime, I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. Yes, we should be concerned about our government. We should be concerned about our government leaders, our politicians. Never in my life have I seen such a sad, sickening, deplorable, anti-Christian, anti-godly establishment as I'm seeing in our government today. That goes for our media, that goes for many of our entertainment places, that goes for many of the great entities in America today. Never I've seen it so filled with so many that are opposed to the Bible, to Jesus Christ, to the gospel. I flipped over on a TV channel the other night and they were talking about something from years ago and they were coming against a couple of preachers and this particular news station couldn't even spell reverend so-and-so as reverend. I looked at my wife and said, they don't even have a clue what they're talking about. They can't spell reverend right. And these are trained in our Ivy League schools. I ain't focusing on them. Many of our modern day prophets say change is coming. Be careful, don't focus on that. Focus on Jesus because he's coming. Just as the world was not ready for him the first coming, I don't think many are gonna be ready for him coming the second time. Many Christians are not gonna be ready. Let me tell you why. Too focused on the here and now. We're too worldly, too bogged down with affairs of the world, too caught up in the spirit of this age. Read the word of God. Two grinding at the meal, one taken, one left, that's 50%. Two lying in bed, one taken, one left, that's 50%. 10 virgins, only five, uh, five had their lamps trimmed and, and ready to go. That's half of professing people ready to go. God has always been the remnant business. As I prayed earlier, there's only a few around the manger when he was born, only a few around the cross when he died, and in comparison, only a few around in the upper room when he sent the Holy Spirit. And sad to say, there's only a few ready when the Lord comes back. We've duped ourselves, church, if we're not careful. How in the world can America be revived when the church doesn't want to be revived? The attendance in church is decreasing with every and every year. We read the Bible, but we don't, but we don't adhere to the signs brought us closer to God. By and large, the modern day church is lukewarm, numb, and in the last days of what's going on to the things of God. We have a form of godliness, but we often deny the power thereof. We complain, but we don't pray. We read the Bible to see their conscience, but does it really change our lives? Many of us have a good theology, but do we really live it? We make sure our kids are in school five days a week, but we justify their missing church. We make sure they go to the magic kingdom and have fun, but are we preparing for the kingdom? that's gonna last forever and ever. The thing that deeply troubles my heart in these last days, most proficient Christians know that we're in it, but many of us are not concerned with our lukewarm condition. Let's say it again. Many of us know he's coming soon. And many of us know we're in a lukewarm condition, but we don't care. We just don't seem to care. It doesn't move us to pray. It doesn't move us to get in the house of God faithful. It doesn't move us to read the word of God with more fervency. It doesn't move us. 
two times, Solomon said, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little phone in the hands to sleep. Here's a picture of a lazy man. Here's a picture of a spiritual slothful lazy man. Church, wake up. Jesus Christ is coming. The apostle Paul said, and that knowing the time that now is the high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. May we ask God to awaken us out of a spirit of slumber. May we ask God to deposit in our spirit his Holy Spirit. May we ask God to give us a desire to pray. May we ask God to give us a desire to read his word. May we ask God to give us a desire to be faithful to the house of God. May we ask God to put us back on the potter's wheel and mold us and make us and fashion us into that vessel to bring the most glory and honor to him. Are you looking for his coming or are you caught up in the spirit of this age? I hope you don't misunderstand me. We should be involved and committed to our government and pray for it. But my help is not going to come from whoever is there. Don't let America become as did Rome. They put all their faith in Caesar Augustus. They put all their faith in the war machine, the economic machine of Rome. But it collapsed. It's gone. But Jesus Christ is still very much alive. I place my hope in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. When the disciples got with Jesus and Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, in my opinion, one of the most important nights in the history of the world up to that point. And Jesus said, stay here and watch with me for an hour. He took Peter, James, and John Willow from the garden. And while he was praying in such agony that his heart broke, that literally blood was coming out of the pores of his body with the agony and the intensity of that prayer. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? Of God's wrath being outpoured upon the sins of our sins upon Jesus Christ. Had Jesus Christ walked away that night, we would still be in our sins today. But the disciples were asleep, not once, not twice, but three times he came back. Why do you sleep? Why do you sleep? I don't believe it's not because they didn't love the Lord. They were caught up in the spirit of the age. Caught up, I believe every demon of hell was vomited out that day around those people to bog them down, to get them down, get them depressed, and to look at the wrong thing, to look at the wrong hope, to look at the wrong help. Our help is in him and him alone. I'll take all the help the government gives. Amen, I understand that. But I'm telling you, friend, if we put our hope in mortal man, we're going to go down the portion of potty like Mr. Clean is putting us down there, okay? Jesus. Jesus. 